This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. When I spoke with Hercules Gomez, he hesitated when he said that in some areas of the world, soccer can be like life or death. But using that phrase, life or death, helps paint an appropriate picture because the sport is so much more than just a game for millions and millions of people around the globe, including many here in the United States. At one point during the interview, Herc actually said that in Mexico, the fans demand more out of the Mexican national team coach than they do out of the Mexican president. Now contrast that with the narrative we're fed here in the United States. Soccer fans here are expected to accept the shameful idea that soccer is just entertainment. And if we want to be part of American soccer, we are forced to be part of an incredibly sterile environment that pales in comparison to the rest of the world. American soccer fans are expected to sit quietly, play nicely, and buy hot dogs. And anyone who tries to swim upstream is shamed and labeled a zealot or a Euro snob or told to put a tinfoil hat on. But Hercules Gomez hasn't been afraid to swim upstream, though. In fact, he continues to be one of the most vocal figures in American soccer. He told me that he was critical of both MLS and Liga MX during his playing career. And these days, he does most of his talking on the sets of ESPN FC and ESPN Deportes. You can also catch him on the Max and Herc podcast with his co-host Max Bredos. And it was on his podcast that Hurt gave a detailed recap of conversations that he had with the father of Jonathan Gonzalez, who is a dual national who grew up here in the American system, but decided to play for Mexico instead of the United States. And during those conversations, Hurt uncovered some lies that were being tossed around by USSF, and he put a big, huge spotlight on some issues that have been ignored by most of American soccer media for years. Some of the most interesting points of the conversation that I had with Herc revolved around American soccer media and how the game is covered here in the United States. And he didn't shy away from the fact that the game is covered differently depending on which audience is watching. And specifically, we're talking about an English audience or a Spanish audience. And he also talked about the, how the lack of mainstream coverage and total immersion, like other countries have, actually affects consumers of the sport here in the United States. We talked about a ton of stuff, but early in the conversation, you'll hear him say that soccer fans in America are much more advanced and nuanced these days. He said it used to be just a bunch of soccer moms and dads who were just being introduced to the sport via their kids. But now those kids are all grown up and they understand the sport. And now they are the soccer moms and dads. And ironically enough, Herc is also a new dad. And it's not going to be long before he's out there in the field coaching his little one. And when he's ready, when he's ready, the 343 Coaching Education Program will be here waiting for him. And that leads me into my reminder that this podcast and all of the 343 podcasts are brought to you by the 343 Education Program. That is what powers this podcast. Uh, We offer a free seven-week course and a premium multi-phase course. Let me tell you a little bit about both of those. So the free seven-week course is a great introduction to 343's proven possession-based methodology. And the premium course takes an even deeper dive 
into that methodology with exclusive audio interviews, classroom sessions, training videos, eBooks, and access to the nationwide community of 343 members via the online forums. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you an inside look at the cutting-edge training methods that are being used to develop professionals here in the United States. You can learn more about the 343 Coaching Programs uh, by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the number three, the number four, the number three, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. So 343coaching.com. And don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you enjoy the show, it would be awesome if you could leave a five-star rating wherever you are listening. If you are listening somewhere else other than Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, maybe shoot me a a tweet or something. Let me know where you're listening so that way I know where, where I can pay more attention to, I guess. But if you like the show and you're listening to it somewhere, wherever you listen to it, a five-star rating would be very, very appreciated. And even if you don't, give us a five-star rating. I still appreciate you. I appreciate you for making time to listen and to let me kind of take over your ears for just a few minutes. And I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Hercules Gomez. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, what's up, Hurt? Hey, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? <laughs> One second. I'm going to no get in the conference room. <laughs> Where are you calling me from? Uh, I'm a little bit north of Santa Barbara right now. Are you from California? Yeah, I'm from here. Yeah, I'm from, uh, I'm from San Luis Obispo, actually. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. You're from L.A., right? Correct. Yeah. I was trying to text well, some. I, I was trying to text up, some people. Oh, okay. But but I was born in LA. Yeah, I was trying to text some people to to get some dirt on you yesterday when when I when I locked in the interview with you, but nobody wanted to give anything up. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much to give up. <laughs> that's, no, that's, that, that's true though. That's true. Um, yeah. So uh, I was hoping to get like I don't know 30, 45 minutes with you. Is that is that fine? Yep. yep cool. Uh, anything uh, anything off limits? There's never anything off limits. All right, cool. I like that. What answer. you see is what you get. It makes it it makes it an easy interview then. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just let's just go at it then. Okay. Um. One of the one of the things I actually wanted to bring up right off the bat was something I saw from one of the ESPN producers. She was on another podcast, um, the World Soccer Talk podcast, and she mentioned something about the way that ESPN kind of approaches their broadcast, so their soccer broadcast specifically, and how much it's kind of changed over the years. And, and I've noticed it more so recently too, and this is all good stuff too. So I'm not, I'm not leading up to like this big negative, uh, <laughs> this big negative comment, but she mentioned that you guys don't dumb it down for, for the consumer anymore. And you guys, you, you guys treat the, the viewers and the, and the listeners to your guys's soccer content. Like they actually know the game and you're talking to them like, like they're educated fans. And, and I don't know if that's the same everywhere else, uh, on on the television. So I, w- I wanted to start off by saying thank you guys for that and, and thank you specifically because you've done a, a great job, not not just recently, but over, over the years, but but especially recently with all the troubles and, and stuff that we've been kind of going through as a country. So sorry for that long-winded <laughs> first statement. No, no I, listen, I, I, I appreciate the, the sentiment. Obviously, I've been 
freshly into this. This is 10 months into this job. Um, this is a very new landscape for me. I'm still trying to navigate the goings-ons and, and whatnot. But I've heard the same thing many a times, how, how this has changed, how the viewer is more sophisticated. Uh, I've always used that term sophistication because when I was a player in the early MLS days, you really saw a different type of fan. Uh, the MLS fan, I should just say the soccer fan in general, because it's unfair to just label you know, soccer fans in this country, MLS fans. The soccer fans in general in this country are so much more sophisticated than they were a decade ago. They appreciate the nuances of the game so much more uh, than, than they used to. They understand it. Before it was a bunch of soccer moms and soccer dads. They got into the sport because their kids played it. Now those kids who used to play it, they're the dads. They're the moms. They're the ones who are instilling a, a, a cultural effect in this game with their kids and in the way you consume it. And I've noticed it just working here briefly. Listen, ESPN is a massive company. I had the good fortune of working briefly with Fox and now the good fortune of being employed by ESPN. Uh, do both companies get it right 100 percent of the time? No, of course not. Uh, but they, they try to do their part to grow the game. And I hate I hate this when I hear grow the game. Because I, I feel we're past the infancy. But it, the, the reality is, for as many soccer fans that are sophisticated and have appreciation of, of soccer, whether it be in the United States or abroad, there are still so many other fans who just don't know about the game. So this is, this is why uh, it's important to, to kind of attend both. But I appreciate how, how, how the viewership expects and demands more of us, the media. Yeah, and, and it's it's been heating up lately, too, and and maybe because you're so new to it is, is why you handle things the way that you handle them, which I think again is in a good way. And (laughs) I guess maybe, maybe can you talk a little bit about how you reacted and, and how you had to kind of handle yourself on air uh, versus how some of like the seasoned vets did. Did you notice like a big difference or, or did you learn anything from those guys during that time? I, I learned plenty from, and listen, with, with me, it's, I, I, I'm blessed to work. I have three bosses here. I have the ESPN FC guys, you know, that's, that's one department I work in. I have the Portis because I do 90, 90% of, of my week is being on television in Spanish in Latin America, you know, five, six days out of the week. I do much more of that. And then I have the event side, uh, U.S. Men's National Team and then MLS and all that. So I get exposed to different uh, ways of covering the game and it's all, it's all helped me understand um, how novice I am at this and then how I'm still committing errors and mistakes and, and how uh, this is a different environment. And just like when I was a player, I need to prepare. I need to be ready. And what I most learned was during the World Cup qualifying um, was uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I would analyze the game still as a player and I wouldn't remove myself from the situations or from ex-teammates. And because it was so fresh uh, at times, it was difficult to be critical uh, of, of certain people. And, you know, having these uh, situations arise on set and having these guys pull me aside after and, and make me realize, listen, it happened to me. Uh, it'll happen to you because you're so fresh with these guys, uh, with these situations, with these settings. You need to remove yourself and you need to be honest with the viewer. Because being honest to yourself isn't necessarily being honest to the viewer at time, if that makes sense. So when I learned um, that the only thing that matters is 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 
deep down, if you remove yourself from the situation, what do you really feel? And just say it. Uh, things became a lot easier. So, so when the U.S. men's national didn't qualify, and I had to eat crow on set with some of the FC guys, you know, they weren't sitting there, you know, making jokes at you or, or laughing at you. They they wanted to help you. You know, the Craig Burleys of the world. This is a guy who, off the air, is really nice, genuine guy, and got to a. Uh, to get along with them and, and to know them and you can learn from all these guys and in the Spanish side the same in the Portes is it's it's impressive um, how they handle themselves and everything I've ever done in my life all my success has been through osmosis I was fortunate enough to be around some very successful person people that in turn made me successful and this is the same thing you know I want to brush shoulders with the best of them because that's how I'm going to keep improving I, I definitely want to ask you a couple questions about uh like your, your journey that kind of brought you to where you are now. But I want to, I want to ask one more question about the, the media side before we get in, into, into some serious sure. soccer talk, I guess. Um, so working and, and bouncing back and forth between the Spanish side and, and the English side and with the ESPN FC guys and, and the Deportes guys, and, and I'm saying guys, but I'm just being departments. Um, what's the major difference between those? Or is there a major difference? No, there's a huge difference. I, I would say the way the game's covered, um, What's please explain that because I, yeah yes please. well you have to understand and i'm sure i'm sure you understand but maybe other people don't understand is there's a cultural difference in the way the game is covered um in this country compared to other countries and just because i work and live in this country doesn't mean that i don't i mean when i cover the sport in spanish it goes out to all of latin america we're talking about you know uh, mexico uh, central america uh th- those countries are out there so so they view the game differently it's and I hate using the term life or death, but it's ingrained in their everyday life and in, in their culture. Um, they don't have Hollywood. They don't have American football. They don't have basketball. They don't have baseball. I mean, sure, sure, some of those countries have baseball, but not to the extent of MLB. They don't have tennis, NASCAR. They don't have to compete with college sports. There are a lot of – they don't have all these things that can grab their attention. What sets you apart uh, from the rest is it, if you're a regular person is you play soccer. You're involved in soccer. That's, that's what they consume 100% of the time. That's what they're all about. Uh, they demand more out of the Mexican national coach you know, in Mexico than they do out of the Mexican president. You know, And these are realities. You can say what you want, but this is why the sport is so massive over there is the way they consume it. So when you're talking to a certain audience and it's that serious, that important, you have to give it a different type of coverage. And also the amount of coverage it gets. You're not the only person covering it. So here at ESPN, um, and I will say unfortunately because we're not there as a country yet, uh, there aren't a lot of, of, of us covering the game uh, with the U.S. men's national team. You know, uh, there you think of U.S. men's national team and who covers it for ESPN, the one name that pops into mind is going to be Taylor Twelman. If you think about the Mexican national team and who covers the game for them in Mexico for the Mexican national team, you're going to come up with, you know, 20 different names uh, that are all major players. That's just the way it is. We're, we're in, in 20s being very, very, very just not generous. They, they, that is the bare, I mean, you can come up between probably 20 to 50 major players. Uh, so the way they consume it there is different. So you have to treat it different. It's cultural. Uh, we are sophisticated enough to understand it, but we are not cultural uh, or cultured when it comes to the game. And what I mean by that is, it's not ingrained in our everyday life. It's it was super interesting. Somebody pointed out that after the men's national team lost, there were some changes that were made to the media 
landscape in the United States that was covering soccer, and, and unfortunately there were some job losses and and, and cuts and, and and whatnot. And then somebody threw out there is like, who are the are the only full time employed people that are covering soccer one hundred percent? Like that's their only gig. And and yeah, you can only come up with like two, three, four names that that's their yeah, that's it, their daily and gig. And, and you know how it is. This is something that you want to do. You like covering the sport, but you've, you've noticed how difficult it can be. Um, there's There are people who consume it, but not at the level where these major corporations are handing out job after job after job. And, and even the TV landscape is changing. Um, and it's unfortunate because I'm used to being in environments where your head's on the chopping, chopping block all the time. Your head's on a swivel. You have to you know, keep navigating, keep pivoting, keep doing different things. When I was a player, that's what it was about. Uh, you saw a teammate, you know, lose a job, go somewhere else. Oftentimes it was me that lost a job and had to go somewhere else. But that was as a player. Now you see it um, on this side, and, and, and it makes me feel a little bad uh, because as a player, you expect these things. I don't think the majority of people in this landscape expected those things or, or expect those things going into it. It's difficult. I've seen people with families lose their job, and they've been without a job for a few years, and we're talking about human beings. Say what you want about the sport. Say what you want about the way it's covered. But these are human beings who have been affected um, by the sport. Yeah, man. And it's 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 difficult for me sometimes because people boil it down to like a, a statement that, that I absolutely hate. And they say it's just a sport or it's just a game. It's like, no, it's it's so, so much more than that. And when you talk about the Mexican culture, the the South American culture, it it's really apparent. It's really obvious that it's way more than just a game. You made a comment that they demand more out of national team coaches than they do the president a, a lot of times. And and yeah, we we haven't reached that level as a country yet. Yeah. Well, just really quickly, you mentioned the way, the way it affects people. Let's talk about the U.S. men's national team not making the World Cup. How many people will be affected, you know, by losing work because they can't cover now the U.S. at the at the World Cup in Russia? I know that these are things; these are consequences of the sport. I know, and and it, it became obvious to me when I was actually watching the NASL final between Cosmos and and San Francisco Deltas, and and at the time it was just rumors, but there there was rumors that the entire Delta's team was going to be folding. Even if they won the championship, they did win the championship and they did fold. So the rumors came true. And, and now with everything with NASL and, and, and all those jobs that are, that are on the line right now, kind of waiting for, for a result in court. And, and it started to become very, very obvious to me. Like, yeah, these are people's jobs. These are people's families, their kids, Correct. their, you know, their and, schools. And by the way, we're not the only country that's, that's, you know, that has these problems. We're, of course. We're not immune. Other countries aren't immune to it. They're, of course. The same thing happens with, with promotion relegation. Promotion relegation is exciting. I love it. And, you know, I'd like, I'd love to see it, but I've been in the other end and seen teams get uh, relegated and those players lose out on jobs and their families suffer and those front offices suffer and the people who work, you know, game day operations suffer, whether it be at the stadium, whether it be concessions, you know, people who have very little to do with the sport, how they suffer in consequence of. What was it like going through that? It's, it's eye-opening. Um, you know, I, listen, I was very fortunate in my career where I played for some very good competitive teams. And I remember when I was at Puebla, I was one of the, the second go round in Puebla, we're fighting for relegation and we get saved the day of last day of, you know, in a dramatic tie against Santos to stay in top flight and, and who the heck goes down to see that 
organization go down and the way they went down and players who I had on that team not know if they come back to first division and because they don't know if they come back to first division are suffering losses in their salary about 70 percent to have families and, and let's, let's listen you're a soccer player you get compensated to play a game fine whatever if most people won't sympathize with that what about the people who work in the front office who do marketing the people who work in the front office you know uh the, the day-to-day runnings of the operation the people who work at the stadium who maintain that stadium that stadium's not being used there's no there's nothing you can do with landscaping those people lose jobs you know concessions uh ticket sales uh, security uh the city um, the, the, the economy that's stimulated in the, within the city because of this sports franchise is no longer there. Everybody suffers, and it's people don't understand that. So it, it can be a little negative. What about the flip side, though? Have you ever been in a in a second division um, that was fighting for promotion? I don't, no, I don't know. I, I, I don't know your entire story. Sorry. So no, no, I've never been. But the, the flip side, it's amazing. It's, it's the Leicester cities of the world. You know, it's. It's uh, Leon in Mexico, who all of a sudden were a story franchise has been in the second division for, you know, decades. And then and they finally get out. And then as soon as they get out, within like six months, they win a championship. And then they become a major player in Mexico and how the city, you know, all of a sudden uh, revitalized. And it's, it's something different, the vibe, the energy, and how you, you applaud that and how that game grows in different markets and, and how you can you see these these teams that don't have the salary or the payrolls as the big clubs do it. And it's exciting and it's storybook and it's Cinderella esque and all that stuff. I get it. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse, right? So it's like the blessing is okay. Somebody else is going to get their shot in the first division. And then the curse is well, somebody, somebody else is going to go down. So correct. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I, I see the negative sides of that as well, but, but, in my opinion, people tend to focus more on the negatives instead of the positives and, and, and how many positives actually come from an ecosystem that that gives you or that has that opportunity where, yeah, you could someday make it in the first division. And and, and all the positives that come along with, with just that just that little sliver of hope, you know, a, a fifth division team, a sixth division team is operating because of the op- that opportunity. So... I, I tend to want to focus more on the positive sides, even though I do recognize the negative sides. Oh, correct. And you know what? It, it, honestly, it's exciting. Promotion relegation in any league, any any country is exciting. There's nothing boring about it. It is exciting. The problem is, how do you implement it here in the United States? And, and listen, that's that's such a crazy question because I think it opens Pandora's box. And am I for it? Of course, because I, I think we need to do what the rest of the world does. You know, we don't have talent like a Brazil or a Germany to say we can do things our way because our way hasn't proven to do anything in its history. So we need to adapt to the rest of the world. Now, what's the best way to start adapting to the rest of the world? That's a question that I'm not sure I have the answer for. It's interesting. It's an interesting question, man. But I I absolutely love what you just said. that our way has hasn't really done anything. Like we it hasn't really gotten us no, anywhere. It, if no, anywhere, it, if not anything, it hasn't can take us really backwards. Gotten us anything. It's it's gotten us nothing. It hasn't it doesn't really. It shouldn't be. In there. It hasn't gotten us anything. Do you do you know if anybody? Oh, I I got to figure out the right way to ask this question. I was gonna ask if anybody on the set agrees with that with that sentiment, but I think a lot of them would. Um, uh, what set? Uh, on the set of uh, the ESPN FC, like the guys that you're on the set with from from 
you know, a day-to-day basis. But I think a lot of those guys have kind of stated their opinion and and they, they do agree that, you know, this, this way of doing things here, it, it's not working. Honestly, honestly, (laughs) I think a majority of them don't care, you know, and I don't mean it in a dismissive way. I just think, uh, it's, it's, your ESPN FC is, is, is a great show. I'm on it maybe once or twice a week. Um, but a lot of these guys, they cover the game in other countries and these shows go out to other countries. It's not, an, it's not an American show. They, this is a very successful show, um, in other countries. Um, so they cover the game differently in the country. So if you ask them about the U S and I shouldn't say they don't care, but I don't think it's, it's something that's, that's been posed to them. That'd be a great question. You should ask these guys, but I don't think the question has been posed to those guys. I actually asked, uh, I asked Craig on Twitter, maybe like right after the, the loss to Trinidad and, and the way he kind of, the way he covered it, he seemed super passionate about it. And then, yeah, he tweeted out something. I, I, I'm, I'm using air quotes and you can't see me, but like, yeah, that he doesn't care. And, and I was, <laughs> yeah. and, and, that's and, <laughs> and it was funny to me because it's like, well, why'd you go on, on stage or on set? And like, you, you acted like you were so passionate about, you know, our failures and blah, 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 blah. And then you say you don't care. It took me, it took me a little while to realize like, yeah, he has no reason to care. Like it, exactly. he doesn't have a dog in the fight. He, exactly. his, his job is to cover it. He has to cover it, but yeah, he, he doesn't have to care. And and it took me a while <laughs> to kind of, to, to understand that. Hey, and listen, and I know people give uh, Alexi a hard time. Um, and I love when people give the media a hard time because you give players a hard time. Media should be the same. You know, every, the, the presidents of, of clubs and ownership groups should all be held accountable. Everybody should be held accountable. But when you're talking about why people cover certain things and don't cover other things on a television network, I think it's fairly simple. It's it's it's, it's what what do people care about? And there are not a lot. They're just honestly in this realm, they, for whatever reason, seem to think that people, there aren't enough people who actually care about that. That's super interesting though. Super interesting. Has, has the conversation at all or changed at all since, since the loss? Like, have you guys noticed a a spike or a trend that more people are tuning in or? Well, since I covered the game in the States, uh, I have. And I think our only, and it's a stupid way to gauge somebody, the metrics of, of social media, but social media has gone crazy since the U.S. national team, you know, did not qualify. And what's important, what's relevant, all of a sudden, wouldn't have been relevant ten years ago, five years ago, last year. It's all of a sudden new president. It's all of a sudden broken system. It's all of a sudden what can we do? It's all of a sudden who's to blame? It's which is great, which is great. But you have to be measured with these things. And what I mean measured is is where was this, you know, a year ago? Where was this five years ago? You know, we weren't the best in the world then, and all of a sudden, we don't we don't have no divine right. We don't have a divine right to qualify for every single World Cup, especially when the when other teams are getting better. You know, who are we? What have we done to demand that? But you're you're not new to the system. You're not new to the to the conversation. Like you said, like where was this one year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago? But your your role in the system is, has changed. So now you're on the media side. But what was it like as a player five years ago or ten years ago? What, what were the conversations like in the locker rooms or you know with with the with the guys at the bar? You were after just the game happy or... you had a locker room. If, if I'm talking about when I was 19 years old and training with the LA Galaxy on a baseball diamond outside the Rose Bowl, you know you were just lucky there was 
I mean, I, I felt this way. You're lucky there's just a league at this point. Uh, and I remember talking to Sebastian Salazar about this. Sebastian Salazar, in 1992, his father had to drive him like an hour out of D.C. to go find a semi-pro soccer league that he can watch professional soccer in. Do, you, do people want to go back to those dark ages? No. That's why a lot of people have no problem with the MLS setup and, and the system the way it is because it's given them something. These are people who remember the dark ages. Does it mean it's the correct and only answer? No, absolutely not. Uh, but people remember the alternative. When, when is it time to move on from that though? Like when is it time to kind of like readjust or, or take a deeper look at the system? Maybe, maybe it's already starting to happen. Maybe that's what we're all doing now, but I think you're right. I think, I think maybe it is starting to happen. Um, and, and little by little, you'll, you'll start uncovering more layers or, or seeing different pieces to the, to this puzzle or this equation. Uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, is MLS perfect? No, absolutely not. I'll be the first one to tell you. Listen, I, I've no, played. No, dude, in, you're not the first one. I've been saying it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've played in multiple leagues. I've played in multiple countries. You know, I've played professional soccer in the U.S., in the States, and in Canada. I know North American soccer. Uh, I understand how complex things can be. I understand why MLS does things the way they do. In the grand scheme of it, is it business? Of course it is. It's business for Liga MX as well. It's business for the Premier League as well. You know, every single league doesn't do it for the out of the goodness of their own heart or to develop the game. It's business. That's what they do. That's what these leagues do. That's what FIFA does. Uh, so it, it starts at the top. It starts at the top until you see actual reform and change in FIFA. That's when you'll see a trickle down effect. And I think. The United States and Canada, and I and I will include Canada because it's Major League Soccer. Uh, they are at a point where they are far better than they ever been in the game in the last 20, 30 years. You know, as development and 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 and, uh, and sustainability and and you know the player acquisitions and what they have, the level on the field. But does that mean that it's that it's already in game? No, of course not. There's things you can tweak, things you can change for the betterment of the game. And they're starting to do that. It's just not at the pace everybody would like. And quite frankly, uh, in this country, there is the, the idea that it's it's us versus them in the sense of the corporate, you know, the people versus the corporate world. And, and MLS has a corporate world image like every other league has as well. I, I can't get a read on you, man. It's like you, you, you say some stuff like, oh, yeah, like MLS has, has kind of, oh, I, I <laughs> like you don't want to go back to the dark days, I guess is, is a good way to put it. And, and there's like the praise that is, is due for, for MLS. Like they, they deserve, you know, uh, they deserve the praise for starting the league, founding the league and, and taking soccer to a, a, a different level in this country. And, and, and I have no problem giving that, giving them that praise. And then you also say some stuff like, Oh, it's not perfect. And we need change and blah, blah, blah. Like, and Correct. I agree with all that stuff too. I, I just, I can't get a read on, <laughs> on like well, what side of the fence you're leaning towards or. Well, this, this is the thing. I, like with, with the FC guys, how, how they said there's no dog in their fight. I'm going to cover the game regardless of what happens. It is. It's, and, and you as a fan, you have different ways you'd like to consume the game. Correct. Of course. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. There are so many different ways fans like to consume the game. It's impossible to just pick one because you can be a U.S. men's national team fan and hate MLS. And you could be a U.S. men's national team fan and love MLS. You know, you could say, I love American soccer. I just can't watch domestic league. Or you can say, 
I love my domestic league. I hate the men's national team because of the players. But, you know, whatever. There's so many different ways to consume the game. So I'm just being real with you. I, With me, I just enjoy I just enjoy covering this game. I enjoy watching. If today, tomorrow there was promotion relegation, great. Because the rest of the world is doing it. I enjoy watching. But if there's not, you know, I also don't have a big enough dog in this fight. That makes sense. Now, I, I, I understand it. I, I, I do understand it. Um, one of the, one of the other things I, I wanted to talk with you about were the comments that, that Bruce Arena made when, when Fox brought him on and, and he had a little chat with Alexi about, you know, players, uh, all the players being in the system. And I know you've talked a lot about this as well, um, on your, on your podcast that you have with, with Max Bredos and on the, on the show, somebody sent me actually a great clip of you, um, talking about, I think yourself, um, but a lot of people don't really know your your beginning, like your your journey, and and you were not somebody that was in the system, and you kind of had to forge your own your own path, and and I wanted to kind of get your get you to maybe tell that story, tell the beginnings of that story, and, and <laughs> how and how you made it actually. Do you, do you uh, watch Stranger Things? <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah, I'm I'm on the other side. <laughs> That's where I was. <laughs> That's explain that explain at. that though because because a lot of people won't understand wh- what that was like well it's difficult listen i was i'm i'm so much an outlier for this it almost does it won't make sense to a lot of people um but i grew up i was born in los angeles grew up playing you know soccer in southern california until i was about nine moved out to las vegas played southern southern or nevada soccer until i was about u18 played in a system where there wasn't enough teams for us to be competitive with. So when I was U15s, we're playing U18s just to get enough games. You know, I got to play against bigger, stronger um, individuals, which, which sharpened my skills and played for my dad's, you know, Mexican League men's league team. And that's where I learned, like, the mental side of the game and how to how to use different, different uh, I guess, gambits in my game to, to be more successful. But I was never recruited or considered one of the best kids in my age group or in my area, you know, I didn't do ODP. I couldn't afford ODP back then. You had to pay for it. I don't even know if ODP still exists. That's how, that's how uh, far removed I am from youth soccer these days. Um, I, I, I was uh, one of these kids that was sponsored playing in an Anglo team. I was one of three. Um, if it wasn't for, for one of the parents on, um, on the team who, who had a very successful, you know, electrical company in Las Vegas, he was, you know, this company had casinos under uh, under their banner. If it wasn't for him and the check he would write every year that made sure I and two other kids didn't have to pay for a single thing, I wouldn't have played or gotten as far as I had. You know, I, I didn't have college scholarships. I didn't have recruiters knocking down my door. So I, if I wanted to continue to play, I had to go try out in Mexico. And I did try out. And I had plenty of doors shut on me. You know, at Pachuca, third division. I was there for two weeks. I said, no, sorry, you're not good enough. And somebody was there from Cruz Azul and took me in. And I got to stay, you know, four or five months in Cruz Azul's facilities and trained. And even though I wasn't part of the team, I was training there with the team. And I got I got to brush shoulders with some future Mexican, you know, stars. And and then the next team I tried out for, I made. And it was a team in Puebla. And, you know, after I got tired with that, I went to the USL and I played with the San Diego Gauchos. And because of the USL, because of the San Diego Gauchos, we got to play the LA Galaxy. The LA Galaxy crushed us. It was like nine zero or nine to one. 
but I was 19 and I scored R1 and they kept an eye on me after our season was done. They invited me for a tryout two weeks later. I signed with the galaxy and it just kind of went from there. I mean, I'm making $800 gross a month <laughs> to live with, to live in Los Angeles, play for the LA galaxy. I'm sleeping on my grandmother's couch or floor, you know, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just a crazy story of how I got there. And even then Siggy waved me 2004. He let me go. I was brought back 2005. Steve Sampson gave me an opportunity, you know, as a developmental player, uh, I ended up playing around July and uh, just went on this crazy goal scoring, you know, tear and he, he wouldn't take me out of the lineup and we won a double, you know, and then the MLS said, Hey, congratulations on winning your double. We're going to go ahead and pick up four years of your next options. And so I had a pretty shitty contract with MLS uh, for the next four or five years, unless I wanted to resign, which would have been another four or five years. And I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I felt I had higher value. So I felt like I was being held hostage. And then, you know, I play my play my contract out, and and I think I'm gonna get a better contract uh, from the Kansas City Wizards at that time, and they lowball me, and in mean frustration, I I said no, I'm not accepting the contract, and thankfully I got a phone call, and it was like, hey, there's a spot in, in Puebla for a Mexican national. Uh, I had a Mexican passport. A player, a Paraguayan player, had left, and they needed a forward. He's like, "Are you interested? It's only a six-month deal." And I nonchalantly said, "I'll think about it." Saying, "This is all I have." <laughs> you know, I went there, and the first day I get there, the head coach says, "Hey, I didn't bring you to play. I brought you to train hard and light a fire, you know, against the starters' feet, make them feel not comfortable, like they have to work for something. Every once in a while, I'll throw you a bone. Next thing I know, that bone's being thrown sooner than I thought, and I'm scoring goals, and I win the Golden Boot, and my just everything changed." Just everything changed, you know. It's 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 one of the things that kind of happens by luck, uh, and I don't want to say luck because I, I'm I'm thick-headed, I'm stubborn, I don't accept no for an answer, so I kept pushing. But I've had more doors shut in my face than than people think, and and like many others, journeyman. You know, I've had a very good career, um, but it was very much a journeyman career, and with that journeyman journeyman career came. You know, 13 finals, you know, championships, national team calls, you know, different tournaments played for the national team, uh, a 17 year career. So when when people say here, sit here and tell me you defend MLS, well, you know, you should do some history. I was actually one of the guys who called MLS out a lot as a player while I was here and as a player while I was abroad. Well, you just defend, you know, Liga Megas. No, do some history. You know, I was one of the players who called out Liga Megas for their, the way they treat players and the Players Association or lack thereof, you know, uh, the program. I've criticized everybody, and I'm still standing. It's it's one of these things. I'm not perfect. I have my own flaws. You know, I, there's so many things I need to keep improving on. Like when I was a player, there, I was behind the eight ball. Today, as a, as a media member, I am behind the eight ball. Uh, but it's one of these things I navigate daily. And as long as I can concentrate on trying to improve myself on the daily, you know, I, I've gotten uh, at least good feedback. You know, some days are a lot harder than others, but this is who I am and this is where I'm at in this landscape. So when people say, like you do to me, I can't read you, it's probably, probably the reason you can't read me because I've lived both sides and there's some things I take and some things I won't. I, I love the the way that you told that story too, because it, it was almost like, it was gonna, it was gonna come to an end, and then you're like, and then this happened, and then, and then this happened. It was. It was but that's <laughs> been, that's been literally my my career, and I'm sure, I'm sure media wise, it's it's going to be the same thing. You know, it's it's going to be uh, a series of adventures where I keep learning. Um, I'm going to say some things people don't agree with, and maybe I'm wrong because I've been wrong in my life, and I've been wrong on the media side in the short time 
but maybe I'll say something and get somebody to see a different perspective and ask, why not? Maybe he is right. I want to, I want to go back to, um, I think you mentioned it was like 2004, 2005. You're with galaxy. Ziggy let you go. And Steve Sampson and Steve Sampson brought you back. And, and this is kind of a selfish reason for, for, for asking about the story. I'm, I'm supposed to interview Steve, uh, here pretty soon. I was, I was actually supposed to go to his office yesterday and interview him. He lives like 30 minutes from me. Um, but but I'm I'm curious how that happened and how that played out. So you got cut from the team, and then you got brought back to the same team. Yeah, Ralph Perez, who was the assistant coach when I was at the LA Galaxy, the first go around from 2002, 2003, and 2004 when I was cut that preseason. He was with Siggy. Uh, he was still somewhat involved in the LA Galaxy organization, and he called me up and he said, "I really want you to go back to Galaxy. I think you should give him a shot because he believed in me." He was one of the few people back then who, who believed in this, you know, wet behind the ears, uh, young kid, you know, with this brash attitude and, and literally just, I was, I was more hopeful than actually good. And he convinced Steve to bring me to preseason. I went to preseason and, you know, to Steve's credit, you know, he saw something. I worked hard. He offered me a senior developmental role. I paid $1,200 monthly, um, gross. Uh, and he said, I don't have a senior roster spot. I was 22. Um, and I was kind of burnt out. I didn't want to do it. I was, con- I was convinced by some friends in, in you know, Southern California area to, to stay with them. And my, my best friend's a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And he goes, dude, I'm a partner already at, at this age. And, and, and if somebody told me, change it, I'll trade it right now. Would you trade it for one year as a professional soccer player? Cause he, he loved playing soccer. Would I? I said, absolutely. I would. And he's like, you have this opportunity, try to make something of it. And you know, Steve gave me the opportunity and to his credit, it was very difficult when Steve, when I was scoring goals, you know, uh, Landon came back from the national team. So he, he had a, a difficult decision to make. Do I sit Hercules with me? Do I, you know, does he bench me or does he make a move with Jovan Karofsky and he traded Jovan Karofsky so I can play. You know, he he took a lot of grief in his time with the national team and even in his time with the Galaxy. Uh, but he was fundamental in, in, in the success we had that year, and especially mine. You've played for some of the biggest names in, in U.S. soccer. You've played for Ziggy. You've played for, for Bruce. You've played for Bob. You've played for for Steve. Like, those are those are like the four, those well, are four major I players. I never played for Bruce. I oh, really? I never played really? for Bruce. I was called up by Bruce to a Scotland game in 2005, but we Got were it. at MLS Cup, so I couldn't go. But I've brushed shoulders with Bruce, been in, in circles, in around, uh, and against him, you know, his teams and league play and Cockyap Champions League and, and whatnot. So I know enough of him. Huh. Yeah. So I, 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 I messed up on that then when I was looking you up because maybe I just saw Oh, you're you not got... the first person. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So why, why did you never play for Bruce then? Uh, well, you'd have to ask Bruce, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he called me in, um, and this was the year we won the double, but we were busy playing an MLS cup when they were going to play Scotland and he did, and Chris Rolf ended up going instead of me. Um, and, and, you know, from there, I mean, he's a national team coach. He had his players who we felt were, were his guys at the time that he should call in. So it just never happened. Um, but things like that happen to all types of players. Uh, but I, I, in North America, I played some of the biggest names in North America, whether it be U.S. coaches, Mexican coaches, you know, uh, national team coaches. I've, I've been fortunate. And listen, I've had more bad coaches than good. 
but this is that's world that's world football that's world soccer you don't always get the best coaches and 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 i've learned something from every single one of them i'll tell you that that's awesome to hear man um what one of the other things that popped out when you were telling your story about kind of the trajectory of your your playing career is a lot happened very fast and very young for you and it seemed like before you got got back to San Diego or got back to Galaxy uh you you'd already you'd already done so much at what point did you like go out and get an agent or did you realize like oh, I can't do this by myself or yeah, my first agent was, I believe, my last season at Colorado. That was my first agent. And uh, I believe I was 20, 25, 26, um, just because I never needed an agent. I had developmental contracts with options that were ironclad. You know, give, having an agent would just be giving money away. It wasn't like at that time they could just pick you up, get you going somewhere else. Um, and he, when I was in Mexico, uh, only for the first season I was in Mexico did I have an agent. The rest of the time, um, I, I was my agent. I negotiated my own contracts in Mexico, and that was eye-opening. That was beneficial. I think that really <laughs> got me interested in the sporting side, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the business side of the sporting world in this game. Um, it was really eye-opening, especially being in Mexico. I, I It was just something else. It was like nothing I had ever seen. So after these experiences in Mexico, um, I think that's when I kind of grew up, um, and I don't want to say as a businessman, but but in a term, in a in this world, you that's what you are. You you're playing for money, and you want to market yourself in a certain way to make more money. You don't do it out of kindness of your heart or the joy or the love of the game. You do it because of the money. And at the end of the day, you see other players getting paid, and you enjoy playing this game. Well, you want to get paid as well for playing a game you enjoy. I want to ask you just just a couple more questions. I, I asked you for forty five minutes, uh, so we're we're sneaking up on that time limit right there. Um, but but during that during that time, so like you got to the age of twenty five, twenty six, you said, and you were doing everything on, on your own. Who who were some of the the people that were by your side at that time? Like it, you you couldn't have done all that by yourself, like emotionally and 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 all that. That's that's draining, man. Who was with hey, you? Well, I was well, I was in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, well, it was by myself. <laughs> Believe it so or not, I am no family, I'm Mexican nothing. American. I'm Mexican American, but the majority of my family lives in the states. I have like distant cousins in Mexico, uh, but that I do not know. Um, so it was by myself. I was an American kid in a different country who all of a sudden had to fend for himself, and uh, it was difficult. But it was it was an experience. I, I matured. As a person, I, I matured as a and as an athlete. I, I took the game a lot more seriously when I knew that if I was out at a bar midweek with a beer in hand, I'm going to come out in the newspaper. Or I'm going to be talked about on the radio. <laughs> if I had a bad game, they're going to be saying, you know, that Yankee needs to leave. That Gringo needs to get out of here. You know, or or when my good to a new team and my teammates won't pass me the ball because I just took their best friend's position and now he potentially going to make less money. Where I, where you had to be one of these pirates with, you know, the blade between your teeth fighting for everything he has. When you have to be that guy, you mature very quickly. And when I had to be that guy, uh, these are things you either sink or swim. And listen, I sunk plenty of times in my career. Unfortunately, the times that I did swim gave me enough equity um, where I had the benefit of the doubt. Do you, I mean, you have to, you have to feel that that was probably one of the biggest learning moments or biggest 
biggest learning curve, sorry, uh, of your career. But without that, would you have would you have ended up the way that you ended up? Do you think without that time no. that you had to go go fend for yourself? No, absolutely not. Um, no, I the first time I realized how serious this was. Um, I just, and this is how stupid it sounds. I win the goal scoring title in Mexico and it doesn't hit me how serious this is. I was making crap money at Puebla for a six month position. I mean, it's shit money, um, just to get my foot in the door. Uh, after that season, I am a free agent and there is no free agency in Mexico. Um, it's sort of MLS like where they have a thing called a Pacto de Caballeros, a gentleman's pact. So they have to negotiate, clubs have to negotiate with each other before um, before anything, even if a player is free. Um, I had a situation where I was in Los Angeles, uh, you know, in my off season, and I was training with Chivas USA before the 30-man World Cup um, camp. And out of those 30, 23 get selected to go to the World Cup. Well, I had like 30-something days where I was going to be in LA training with Chivas to prepare for it. Because Puebla didn't make playoffs, so we were early exit. You know, I didn't want to be without anything, knowing that I was going to head into this camp. So I'm in LA, and I get this phone call, and it's Jose Antonio Garcia, and he's he's the president owner of Atlante, who was a first division team um, that has rich history in Mexico. They went from Mexico City to Cancun, so now this team's first division team in Cancun, and the owner's calling me. Hey, Hercules Gomez. My name is blah blah blah. I'm, you know, president owner of Atlante. I understand you're in Los Angeles right now. I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, I am in Los Angeles. Okay. I would like to invite you, and you know, your wife, girlfriend, whoever you have. And I was like, well, I don't have anybody at that time. <laughs> He's like, well, then just you. I'd like to invite you to dinner. And I said, uh, sure. Where, Mr. Chow? Uh, in Beverly Hills. And I was like, oh, God. It's on Rodeo <laughs> Drive and everything. I get there. I'm extremely underdressed. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. He's with his wife. He and his beautiful wife sit me down. And his wife's just, you know, small talk for about 15, 20 minutes. Da, 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 da. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Da, 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 da. Listen, you know my team here. Da, 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 da. Sure. And next thing I know, he pulls out a manila envelope. And he slides it to me. And I open this envelope. And I'm looking at it, and it takes about 15, 20 seconds for it to dawn on me what exactly I'm looking at. He presents me with a four-and-a-half-year deal for more money than I've ever seen put together in my whole playing career. And I just went, oh, shit. <laughs> and I look at him, and he goes, sign it. I want you on my team. And he's whining and dining me now, and he goes, sign it. And I remember thinking to myself, I still had my agent at this time. I, I, I'm sorry, so I, I can't sign this uh, without speaking to my agent or showing him. He's like, call him, bring him here, call him. I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't just call him. No, I, you know, I appreciate the sentiment. And it, it made me realize all of a sudden, like, holy fuck, this isn't a developmental contract. This isn't, you know, this is serious life-changing money that's just come your way. Everything's changed. My whole panorama changed in the exact moment right there. And what happened next? What happened next? I turned down the contract. And then I what? turned down the contract. <laughs> uh, I went to a 30-man camp with the U.S. men's national team. I was fortunate enough um, to do well that camp, and I got an opportunity to play against the Czech Republic um, in Hartford, ironically enough, which is down the street here from Bristol. And I come on at halftime, which for that season is what I was known for, coming on at ha coming on in second half and scoring goals. And my first touch in the game, it's a 
it's a Sue Holden corner kick that goes to the back post to Clarence Goodson, who heads it across the face of goal, and I find myself wide open and bang the goal. And that night, I uh, was notified I'd be on a plane to the World Cup. That's amazing, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you, do you look back at that at that moment when you're when you're sitting there on on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and the guy hands you this contract and and you'd make the decision to not sign it? Do you, do you ever look back and, and regret that? No, 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 because this is where I matured. Um, I was it was a situation where you jump at it. And because I didn't jump at it and I took a step back, better things came my way. That's awesome, dude. I the the stories you tell they're they're so vivid too. Like you're using the names and the places. It's it's you're painting a good picture for the listeners, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, is is there anything else that that I guess is on is on your mind, or or you want to get off your chest right now while while you have a while you have like a little bit yeah. of, a, of a platform? Yeah, I do, I do, and, and it's about platforms. I think oftentimes the consumer, and I use the word consumer a lot because I don't want to say fan. That's 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 not a that's not a good word. You know, we're a fanatic isn't something people want to be. You want to be you're a consumer of something. You 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 enjoy or have interest in something. Um, there are people with platforms, all types of platforms and agenda, who are spewing and I their message, and and people don't really know what they're listening to, but they buy into it very quickly. And now we're in a situation now with the presidential election for for U.S. soccer, where there are plenty of different messengers. And I say messengers because there are candidates who we know very little about who spew things um, that we may not know who they're being backed by, or we may not know what the the motives are. Uh, and because we don't have a situation where we can get all these together on a national network uh, for enough people to pay attention and put them through an adequate venting or vetting process, uh, where you just go with who your buddy's going for, or, or you, you heard something, but you didn't hear, hear the rest of it. These choices are going to impact U.S. soccer going forward. So if you back somebody, be prepared uh, to really understand everything that they're saying, everything that they're doing, everything they're promising, who is backing them, um, what is on the agenda. Because if you complain about MLS and some and U.S. soccer and the powers that be and then go a different scenario, different direction, and it's worse, but you back that person, and we saw it in the U.S. presidential election where all of a sudden people are like, well, I didn't know it was going to be like that. Well, this is what we were getting ourselves into. So we need, it, there's had to be a vetting process for us to really understand who we are backing. Are you, are you able to say who you're backing? No, <laughs> no, because I, I don't, I'm not backing anybody yet. I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and this is sounds so terrible for a media member, but this is me being honest. I don't know enough about everybody who is running. I don't even know who has the adequate amount of votes yet. You know? Yeah. Uh, that, that was supposed to be today. They're supposed to announce that today. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. What I do, what I do know is I'd love to know. So transparency for me is the key. Yeah, me too, man. There, there is so much, there's so much that's kind of left in the dark with this whole process. It's like every everybody wants to shine a light on it, but it's it's just there's so much in the dark that you you can't. And and the transparency issue is is a major major issue. So right. I, I hope it, that I I hope that we we can hear you talking more about it. Well, I would love to. I do have one more thing to add. And this of course, goes to my this goes to my my friends who are promotion relegation. I am promotion relegation. 
I enjoy promotion <laughs> relegation. But there is a sense within at least the social media community that the promotion relegation flag waivers are to a point where it turns off any potential person who's sitting on the fence. And I think that's that's the wrong way to go about it. There are ways you can go about it where it's not harassment, where a potential vote in your favor isn't turned off because of the message or the way you're relaying the message. Yeah, we've 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 gotten that before. Not we, not not me specifically, but uh, people in the, in the pro rail crowd. Yes. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, it's. I've tried to explain to people too that that the message or that the the movement that's on social media makes it all the way to like the ESPN you know desk, or makes it all the way to the Fox Sports One desk, and it's it's talked about in in those rooms, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's it. <laughs> I see the need for some people to be so brash and blunt and 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 combative, but yeah, it, it can it can turn people off. And correct. And I I like the way that you that you kind of laid it out for everybody. That just just be aware of it. People need to be aware of that. So there, you have an opportunity every day to to kind of to spread the message and and bring people to your side if you if you choose. Don't don't push them the other way. Correct. And listen, I'm I'm on social media all the time. People will know my handles uh, on multiple, you know, social media platforms. Um, I don't shy away from a conversation as long as it's respectful. Yeah, of course. Actually, I don't, I don't know if you would remember, but I, I, you and I got into it one day with with Keith. Uh, Portland Timbers. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> with Keith. Yes, it was us. It was us talking, and and yeah, it was cool. It was it, it was a little bit of back and forth, and and we all shared our opinions, and it was fine. And, and yeah. here we are today talking on the phone. So exactly. No, I'm all, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. Um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate your time and, and taking this on such short notice. I think we just started talking about it yesterday and or texting about it yesterday. And, and then 24 no hours problem, later, man. we're I'm recording always, the podcast. I'm always up. Yeah, I'm always up to talk the game. Cool. Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll provide links to every, to all your social media platforms and, and to some of your interviews and, and some other information about you in the write-up of this podcast. But uh, just I, I want to say thank you, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 343 Podcast. Thank you to Hercules Gomez for coming on the show. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it. If you are looking for more information about 343, about the coaching education programs that we offer, or if you want to find more of the podcast episodes like this one that you just listened to, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And once again, I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate you, and we will catch you here next time on another episode of the 343 Podcast. Thank you.